Tonight, God's Word comes to us from 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter 4, we're going to begin our reading at verse 7, and then read just through verse 11 of this chapter. First Peter 4, beginning at verse 7. What we hear now is God's word. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, as we continue to move forward in our study of this letter of First Peter, uh, we come to this statement in chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Uh, Peter is not telling us that the end of his letter is at hand. He is referring to the end of all things. He's referring to the end of time. A topic in theology that we often refer to as eschatology. The study of the end times. As I was uh, reflecting on this sermon and on preaching in the past, I don't know that I have preached a sermon focused on eschatology. Now, currently, I'm teaching a Wednesday night class, some of you attend that, uh, talking about eschatology, and uh, after the Christmas break, we're going to pick up that study once again. You're certainly welcome to join that in God's good providence uh, on the nights that I don't teach. Uh, we are going through a study facilitated by Aaron of the book of Revelation. So if you want to know more about eschatology, if you want to know about Revelation itself, uh, come to that Wednesday night study. I said, I, I, I've taught about this, but I'm not sure I can recall preaching a sermon about eschatology. And, and our understanding and our study of God's word from the pulpit is to be well-rounded. So tonight we're going to spend just a little bit of time talking about what it means to live in light of the fact that the end times are near at hand. There are some churches that you can go to when you will hear sermons on eschatology every single Lord's Day. Texts from Revelation, texts from Ezekiel, texts from Daniel, sermons on Matthew 24. You'll hear this every single Sunday. We need a balance. We need a balance. And so today, I, tonight, I hope to, in some ways, balance the scales just a bit as we spend time talking about eschatology, living in the end times, but with the focus on the same thing Peter focuses on. How does that truth 
that the end of all things is at hand. How does that truth affect our daily life? That's Peter's point, and that'll be our point tonight as well. We have to begin with at least a, a, a fundamental understanding of what we mean by the end times. Eschatology often focuses on the study of the millennium. Maybe you've heard that term, the millennium. The millennium is the thousand-year reign of Christ that is spoken of in Revelation chapter 20. And, and uh, all the eschatological positions believe in a millennium. They believe Christ will rule in his kingdom for a thousand years. But how and when and the nature of that rule is what distinguishes between some of these positions. Now I'm not tonight going to talk about the difference between an millennial position and a post-millennial position. And if you don't know what those are, that's okay, because I'm not going to talk about that tonight. Uh, the differences between them are a matter of nuance, a matter of emphasis. It's more of an in-house discussion. But I do want to distinguish tonight the, what I'm going to call the predominant millennial position in our churches in general, and how that contrasts with the predominant millennial position in other evangelical churches. And that's the difference between a premillennial position, those in other churches, and an amillennial position, those which is most common, not universally, but most common in our churches. And it has to do with when does Christ reign for those thousand years. And I'm going to be tonight very, very general. Very, very general. Again, if you want more, come to Wednesday night class. We'll dig in deeper. But tonight, we're going to, in broad strokes, distinguish these two positions. First, the premillennial position. Premillennial dispensationalism is probably the most common eschatological position you will find in most broadly evangelical churches. Most people believe this position. It is a position that says, right now, we are living in the age of the church. We are living in the church age. But there will be a time in the future when Christ will come again for his saints and take his saints to be with him. We call that the rapture. And then after that, after Christ comes for his saints in the rapture, there will be a seven-year period of tribulation. And during that seven-year period, there will be a second chance at salvation. For anyone who was not taken up in that first rapture, there's a chance later. Christ will come again after that with his saints and at that point establish his millennial kingdom. And the kingdom of God begins then, someplace off in the future. 
after Christ has come for his saints, after the seven years of tribulation, after he comes back with his saints, then in the future sometime, he establishes the thousand-year millennial reign. That is not the position that is held by those in the United Reformed Churches. None of our ministers hold a premillennial dispensational eschatology. The most prominent eschatology in our churches is what we call an amillennial eschatology. An eschatology that says with regard to Christ's thousand-year reign, that is going on right now. When Christ came in his first coming, he said the kingdom of God is here. And in Christ's first coming, he inaugurated and established that kingdom, a thousand-year reign. Not a literal thousand-year reign. As we've learned in our study of Revelation, we don't expect Revelation to speak literally to us. A thousand years is a long time. It's a long span of time. And so Christ came in his first coming and inaugurated his kingdom that will last ongoing, a thousand years. And when he does come again, when he comes again one final time, and the rapture takes place and all of his people are taken up with him, that is the consummation of the kingdom, not the establishment. The kingdom established when he came. But there we will see the fullness consummation of the kingdom of God. Again, these are, I'm painting in very, very broad strokes. But if you, if you compare and contrast these two eschatologies, I hope you will see that the second position, the amillennial position, is more consistent with biblical revelation than the premillennial dispensational position. Because we know that Christ will come again only once. He will come again once, and at that time, he will take his people to be with him. They will meet him in the air. It will be the final judgment. All the things spoken about in Scripture regarding the day of the Lord will happen one time. There is no second chance. No seven-year period later. Christ comes once again. There is no second chance. And so we must, we must be prepared now for the coming of the Lord when he comes again. Again, if you'd like to go into more depth, uh, come to our Wednesday evening class. Peter says in the text, the end of all things is at hand. It had been about 30 years or so since Christ's ascension. And they were told, as he went up into heaven, so he'll come back on the clouds of heaven. And it's been about 30 years. And it would be easy to say, well, it's taken Christ a while. I think if I'd have been one of the disciples watching him in heaven, and the angel says he's going to come back in the same way, I would have stayed there and watched. He's going to come back soon. He's going to come back soon. And day goes on, and week goes on, and month goes on, and 30 years go by. And yet Peter says the end of all things is at hand. Now Peter gives us something of a commentary on that statement 
in his, <coughs> excuse me, in his second letter. In his second letter, 2 Peter chapter 3, he says this in verse 10. But the day of the Lord, this final day, this final coming, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. There is no second chance. Christ is going to come once again. And he says just a few verses earlier in verse 8, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. We read that earlier from Psalm 90. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. Peter says a thousand years is like a day. Don't think that God is slow in fulfilling his promise that Jesus Christ will come again. Now, for us, it hasn't been 30 years since the ascension. It's been some 2,000 years since the ascension. And it's easy for us to say, as others will say in the scriptures, where is this coming that's being talked about? Why is it taking so long? But I remind you that a thousand years with the Lord are as a day. Yes, it's been 2,000 years for us, but for God, two days, two days since Christ went back to heaven. But the end of all things is at hand. Now, if that was true when Peter wrote this, and it was, even more so for us. The end is at hand. At any point, our Lord could return from heaven. It, it is possible he could come back tonight. And in light of that, in light of the fact that the end of, the, of all things is at hand, Peter says this, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. Think clearly about these things. Now, as we've seen in our eschatology class, it's sometimes hard to think clearly. We have to kind of pull things apart very carefully, look at texts very, very carefully. But Peter says be self-controlled. Think clearly about the end. And it's really easy to, uh, to fall off on, on, on two sides of obsession regarding the end of times. One is to know that the end is imminent and be busy worrying about that. Worrying about when Christ is coming again and, and perhaps even trying to figure out when that's going to be. Figure out what the day and the time is and look at scriptures very carefully. And there have been modern day prophets who have done that. Try to determine the return of Christ. Of course, none of them have been correct. We're not to be not to be busy worrying about trying to figure out when Christ will come again. But the other side of the coin, and perhaps the one we are more guilty of, is not being concerned at all. God, it's been so long. 
Yes, we know the end of all things is at hand. Yeah, yes, yes, I suppose hypothetically Christ could come tonight, but I really don't think he's going to. And we live as if the second coming of Christ is far away. We don't live with the expectation that the end of all things is at hand. That is Peter's admonition to us tonight. The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled, be sober-minded. And he says, because that's the case, you need to live in a particular way. What type of actions should characterize the life of one who knows that the end of all things is at hand? Well, he gives us a couple instructions. Verse 8. Above all, since the end is coming, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Now remember, Peter is speaking here to the church. In light of the fact Christ is coming again, love each other earnestly. He's speaking to the church. If he were writing this letter to the world, he would say, the end of all things is at hand. Repent and believe. <laughs> Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. But he's talking to the church. And tonight, the word of God comes to the church. But there may be those here who do not know Jesus Christ. Then I don't want to give you um, pious advice, live this way and, and ignore Jesus. The end of all things is at hand. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the call of the gospel tonight. And having done that, having embraced Jesus Christ, then we live in a particular way. Above all, love each other earnestly. Love should be the character of the Christian church. We should be known as those who love one another. He says, Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. As we have seen in the last several sermons, Peter gives us some difficult verses. And this verse as well has often been misunderstood. Love covers a multitude of sins. It's been understood to mean that if I am loving toward other people, then that action will cover my sins. Because the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. If I love other people, my sins will be covered because of that. That's not what Peter is saying. When he says love covers a multitude of sins, he's not talking about my sins. He's talking about the sins of others. That that because of our love for others in the church, we will not take offense at the slights that may occur between members of the family of God. Now, in, in many ways, uh, like a marriage. In a marriage, you live with your spouse uh, morning and night, day in and day out, and if you wanted to, if you wanted to. You could find things that they do that annoy you, things you could pick apart at them, but, but you love them. And so love covers over that. You say, I, I, I don't care about those things. Those things are insignificant compared to my love for my spouse. That's what Peter's telling us. 
in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to, to earnestly love one another so much that we choose not to take offense if there is a slight between us. We choose not to be offended. It is not my sins that being is covered with my love. It is, it is the offenses that you might commit against me, but because of my love for you, I choose not to be offended. Action in the end times, love each other earnestly. And he says, verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, when Peter says show hospitality, he's using that term a little different than we do. He's not talking about having people over for coffee after church. That's not the hospitality he's talking about. It was the practice uh, at the time that this was written that when itinerant ministers would go and uh, serve various places, various churches, it was up to the church to provide for that minister when he was visiting with them, to, to care for, for the needs to support the ongoing work of the ministry of the church. And there were some who thought, you know, it, it seems like this job always falls to me. Why am I always the one? who has to step up and show this kind of hospitality to the, to the itinerant minister to support the ministry of the church. And they were grumbling about that. And what Peter is saying is, no, show that hospitality, show that love, support the ministry of the church without grumbling. Now, in our day, uh, we don't have itinerant ministers that come through that we have to house for a day or a week or whatever. But we do still support the ongoing ministry of the church. We support that through our tithes and through our offerings. And Peter is saying, as, as you enter into that task of supporting the ongoing work of the local church, do it with joy. Do it without grumbling. Rejoicing in the opportunity to share in the mission of the church to share in the ongoing work of the church. This is the characteristic of someone who recognizes they're living in the end times because the end of all things is at hand. We're going to continue to support the mission of the church. He says in verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. How do we live in the, in the end times? What are our actions? We Use the gifts we have to serve other people. Service to God and service to his people. As you have received a gift, so use it to serve each other. We have received the gifts that God has given to us freely from him. They are his blessings. Blessings given to us as stewards to use. To use in his service, to use for the blessing of his people. Now, maybe you think, well, I, I, I don't think I have any gifts. I, I, I can't play the organ. Uh, I, I can't run the soundboard. Uh, I, I don't serve well in the nursery. I don't have any gifts. Nothing I can do. In fact, I've talked with people and they say, you know, all, it seems like all I can do for the church is all I can do is pray. That is a gift. To be able to hold God's people in prayer before God. Before you say, I, I, I have no gifts, 
you can turn to our God in prayer. Lift up your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Lift up the ministry of the word locally and abroad. No, we don't say that we have nothing to offer. God has gifted his people as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another. And as God gives, he gives abundantly. It's not as if his giftedness to us will run out. Look, if I, if I pray really hard this week, I can't do that next week. No, God will abundantly provide that we might continue in whatever giftedness he has given to us. Do this as good stewards of what we have received. And so I, I, would, I guess I'd challenge you tonight to think about your life. In, in, in what ways has God gifted you? What particular gifts and talents do you have that you could use in the service of the church? Now, some might be more public, more visible. Some are more private and behind the scenes. But ask, ask yourself, am I using the gifts God has given to serve? As each has received, use it to serve one another as good stewards. Humbly, but honestly, ask yourself this question. If I were to stop using my giftedness, if I were to leave this church, if, if I never came back, what would be missing from the ministry? Now, again, maybe it's not a public gift. Maybe no one would know what you do. But if your gift is prayer, is encouragement, is sending a card or a note to someone, if you were to leave, what would be lost in the ministry of the church? Those who live in light of the end times, that the end is at hand, they continue as they have received gifts from God to use them in service to each other. Use them for the glory of God. And that's how he ends this section. Verse 11, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles for God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. In light of the fact that the end of all things is at hand, we are those who are called to bring praise to God in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. We can be at work in the life of the church because God has been at work in us. He has worked in us to bring us to faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And embracing Jesus Christ, we have been given the Holy Spirit that we might use our gifts and talents in service to God, but not to raise a name for ourselves, not to say, look what I have done, but to bring glory to God, to thank him for the glorious gift of salvation, and to say, how can I serve you until the time that Jesus Christ comes again once for all, because I know that the end is at hand. Peter says, to him belong all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. All glory goes to God. All glory goes to him and his son, Jesus Christ, who right now has established his kingdom, who right now is ruling and reigning over all of his people, who right now knows we are living in the last days. And as Peter addressed the church 2,000 years ago, so we hear this same word again tonight, the end of all things is at hand. In light of that truth, 
May God help us to live these kind of lives. Lives that earnestly love each other. Lives that desire to show hospitality, to continue the ministry of the church in this age. Lives that use whatever gifts, whatever talents God has given to us in his service. That God may establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands for his honor and glory. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we do know that the end of all things is at hand. Yes, it has been some 2,000 years since Christ walked on the earth. But we know, God, that in your sight, a thousand years are as a day, and a day is a thousand years. So help us, God, to always be ready for that one final second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For those, O oh God, in whom you have given the gift of faith, for those who confess Jesus Christ, this is a day we long for, a day of glory, as Christ will be seen all in all in his kingdom consummated. For those, O oh God, who do not know you, it'll be a day of judgment, a day of fear. And so we pray now that even in the gospel age, you would continue to have your word go out. You would continue to work in the hearts of all those whom you have chosen and bring them, O oh God, to full repentance of their sins and full acknowledgement of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And, and acknowledging that, O oh God, to live in a way that brings glory to you. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.